When we lived in Russia, there was this haircut that was really popular for young men. And uh, Grant, you and Murph, you guys just hated this haircut. You thought it was the worst thing ever. It was, it was the worst thing ever. <laughs> Ugly. <laughs> it was these dudes, they would cut everything really short and just leave the bangs long, which we, we had seen something like that from uh, Cholos in, in California. But the Cholo dudes would comb that, those bangs backwards. Which I th- I always yeah. thought that looked kind of badass. Gave you this hard yeah, that's, look. That's actually kind of cool. That kind of looks cool. But these dudes, they would leave the long bangs and they'd just be hanging straight forward. And it just it just looked ridiculous to us. And uh but after a while, and you and Murph had left and I was alone there. And so after a while, when I had adapted, things the, the way I saw things changed. And at some point that haircut looked really cool to me. And I thought, you know what? I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna get that haircut, that because that's what everyone's wearing, and I'm gonna look like like the other dudes. And so I went to this this barber shop in Saratov. That was when I lived in Saratov. And I go into this barber shop, and I sat down, and the lady came up to me, and I could smell the the vodka on her breath when she came up. She had been been doing some drinking, and I explained exactly what I wanted to her. By then, my Russian had become very good, so I was able to explain. Okay, I want this this haircut everybody's got these days, short everywhere, and leave the bangs long. Don't make it too short, you know, leave like two centimeters. And I'm very specific. And she she just pulled out the clippers and she got up to me and I could just feel her pressed against my back in her vodka breath. And she says, no, I'm not going to give you that haircut. I'm going to give you a better one. And she's just buzzed it all off and (laughs) got my hair all the way down to the nubs. When we moved to Russia in 2003, we didn't know what we were getting ourselves into. And he stands in front of me, totally naked, and he says, David, I am going to beat myself now. It wasn't always easy. So, like, literally the entire time I've been drinking the tap water, I've been drinking corpse water. We faced plenty of challenges. The guy made me grab a shovel, and he told me to walk. I think somebody put a curse on me. What? It was a very different world from where we had grown up. And then she said, have you tried the Russian prostitutes? (laughs) She looked at us, smiled and said, erotica, yes. But through it all, we found a country with a proud and inspiring history. But in Russia, you've got 20 million people were killed defending Russia. Just fighting to the last man and woman. Rich in culture and tradition. There's this ancient shaman tradition. And the word shaman actually comes from the Evenk language. A country that would change us in a permanent way. And it's just, it's the taste of, of familiarity now. It's, it's yeah. nostalgia. Like, Russia really became part of who we are. I'm Grant. And I'm David. Welcome to Season 3 of To Russia With Love. You know, we, we had some run-ins with some people who uh, were a little bit power-hungry back then, didn't we? Yeah, yeah. Some some of these folks who would work in supermarkets and stores and even uh, barbershops, it was like that, that little bit of control that you had, they, they went power-hungry on it, and they became these despots, and they, and would, they would just not <laughs> give you the haircut you wanted or not give you the cheese you wanted in the supermarket. Speaking of despots... That's kind of that's kind of the state of the union that that we found ourselves in in Russia. Uh, it, it 
And we had heard from some people that things were even more crazy before we got there in the 90s. And that's what this, this episode is about. We're, we're talking about Dickie Zappad. We're talking about Dickie Zappad, which means the Wild West, um, this, this lawless time where anything goes and anybody can do whatever they wanted to. Yeah, it was, and there's actually a, a restaurant in Moscow called Ziki Zapat, which uh, it's an American themed. Oh yeah, 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 like a Western themed bar. We we never ate there, but but themed after this idea of the Wild West, and uh, that's a phrase that people would bring up when they talked about the 1990s, right after Perestroika, yeah. after the country had fallen apart. It was just craziness. Anything goes, and so we're going to be talking about that, the good and the bad, um, and that really crazy chaotic time. In English, there's a great book about this, which we're going to read from later on. Uh, the book is called Casino Moscow, A Tale of Greed and Adventure by Matthew Brzezinski. His last name is Polish, so I'm not even going to try to tell you how to spell it, but look up Casino Moscow. He really goes into those crazy 90s. He and his wife lived in Russia at the time. So we're going to be talking about that. And that word Ziki, actually Putin has used that word to describe the 90s himself when he refers to that liberal liberalization uh, to the 90s, he's uh, in different speeches. He's used the word Ziki as a wild time. You know, in America, we refer to the Wild West period of our history as a lawless time where anything goes. Back when our country was being formed, before all of the 50 states were put into the Union, people would go out west. There was a colonization movement happening, and as people were going out there, people were moving quicker than the government and the laws and society could follow them. So they were kind of uh, free to do whatever they want. It was a little bit of a free-for-all. And after perestroika, Russia and the former Soviet Union lost the structure it was used to, so everyone was just figuring it out on their own. It was kind of a similar similar situation. It was a little bit of a free-for-all. Capitalism was coming in, in into this vacuum that communism left, and it caused a lot of chaos. Yeah, when we were there, you could still feel that chaos, uh, especially with the young mm -hmm. people. A lot of the people who came to our youth group and the clubs we would do, it was the this kind of lost generation of, of young people who'd grown up in the 90s when the country yeah. was just reeling, trying to put the pieces back together. And so you would you'd walk around at night and see a lot of kind of roving groups of young men, kind of shiftless <laughs> young men walking the streets. Gangs. Yeah, some of them were actual gangs like the skinheads who we had trouble with. And then others were just uh just these shiftless men who'd hang around drinking and smoking and uh yeah. and you you could feel that sense that the, the country was still reinventing itself, figuring out what it was again. So it was a weird time. Yeah. And I think because of that a lot of those uh, especially middle-aged ladies that we would interact with in the supermarket uh, and the, the barbershop, I think they were really clinging to that sense of, of structure, of order, and that power that, that they had back in the day. Uh, from I mean, I'm sure yeah. some of those ladies had worked at that supermarket since the, the Soviet times, the 80s and the 70s even. Yeah. And we need, to, we need to explain a little bit. When we talk about supermarkets there, when we were there, there was a transition in supermarkets. The first few months that we were there, uh, when we would go out to buy food, it was kind of the old way of doing it. We would, we would go to this big marketplace. Sometimes it was indoors. Sometimes it was outdoors. And we would go around, and there were kiosks all around the edge of this building. Uh, 
and in the center there was there was one kiosk and that was where all the money transactions happened but we would go and if we wanted to buy something we would have to go up to the vendor at the kiosk and ask them for what we wanted uh, whether it was meat or cheese or eggs we would ask them for what we wanted they would write us a little ticket and we would take that back into the middle of the the room pay for everything and then they would give us a receipt and we would go back to the kiosk give that to the vendor and then they would bag up our groceries and usually it was uh each of the kiosks kind of had their own specialty right i i remember mostly going to like the the meat kiosk we would get sausage or we would get chicken to take home and cook i had a lot of stress in that situation because i didn't have the best <laughs> russian language and uh, so for me, I would study before I went to the supermarket because I knew <laughs> I would have to talk to people and I would write down the keywords, your vocabulary words that you were going to need to buy, buy what you needed. Exactly. If I wanted cheese, I, I would write down uh, the name of the cheese and I would write some kind of phrase like, may I please receive this cheese? Right. And uh, I would, I would take, you know, an hour before I would go to the grocery store and I would figure out what I was going to say. So one day I remember going just on my own and I was supposed to get groceries that day. So I walk into the place and immediately my anxiety goes off the roof and I walk over to the lady who is selling cheese and I tell her, can I get half a kilo of that cheese, the Pienza cheese? I really liked that one. Do you remember that? Style yeah, you, cheese? Were, you were all about the Pienza. I mean, I hate cheese myself, but you were all about yeah. the Pienza cheese. That was my favorite cheese. It, I would come home and make grilled cheese sandwiches, whatever. Yeah. I love that. So I went and asked that for her, and she looked at me, and she said, Niet. <laughs> and I was like, what do you mean? It's right there. I see a big chunk of it. I have money. I want to pay and buy that. And so I, I asked again, and I, and I said, I would like to buy that cheese. And she said, no. I asked her why, and she said, that cheese doesn't taste good. I'm going to... I want to sell you this other cheese that tastes good, <laughs> that tastes better, which happened to also be more expensive. But that just blew my mind. Like coming from the United States where if you want to buy something, it's a transaction. You pay the money, you buy it. It's whatever the customer wants. But it wasn't quite the same principles in Russia where the customer is always right. <laughs> right. Yeah, and I think I think that can happen a lot of places uh, where you – some people get a little power and really go crazy with it, especially when they, yeah. when that's the only power that they have to, to exercise in their life. When that cheese is, that's yeah, the that, only domain you control it. You know, you're going to control that. Well, that day she was the queen of the cheese. That's for sure. Cause <laughs> I walked, I walked away with the cheese that she wanted to sell me and not the cheese that I wanted to buy. <laughs> she came out on top. Yeah. I think that, I mean, you see that people see that everywhere from the DMV in the U.S., some of these government bureaucracies and corporate bureaucracies, mm -hmm. even friends who have, yeah. have kids tell me that they they encounter people who work in the front office of their school, of like an elementary school. And some of those front office people, I mean, not all of them, but lots of lovely people work in front offices of schools. But my friends have dealt yeah. with folks on power trips because it's, you know, it's this limited amount of stuff that you control. So you, you know, you cling yeah. to that sense of control. They're the gatekeeper. Yeah. And especially in, in that time when we were just, Russia was just coming out of those crazy 90s. And so I think people really clung to any sense of control and order that they could find. 
later on, things got better in the grocery store, at least for me. There was a, a grocery store that opened up in our neighborhood. It was a small one, but you could walk in and get a basket and get all the food that you wanted and go to the front and pay for it all there. They'd ring you up kind of, kind of the way that we're used to in the United States. And I didn't have to talk to anybody except for the cashier. <laughs> so that, that helped me out a lot. When that opened up, I never went back to the old one. Yeah, re- reduce as many of your human interactions as possible. <laughs> yeah. But, but imagine, imagine if, if um, the United States fell apart, if the social structure, if the government, if everything fell apart, imagine you know, what could happen. The, the people who, uh, who you interact with, you know, they're the ones who are in charge all of a sudden. Yeah, and and just imagine how how crazy that would be for whatever country you live in. We use the U.S. as an example because uh, that's the country we know. But I mean, if Washington just disappears from one day to the next, and there's no government, yeah. you don't know who's no in regulations. charge. Yeah, tanks are are coming into Washington. You don't know who's driving those tanks, and all of a sudden the the country starts to break apart. Texas becomes independent. Alaska is independent. the The Southwest goes back to Mexico, maybe. Part of the north goes to Canada, and whatever's left, that chunk of the country left, you don't even know what to call that. It's not the United States anymore, and you don't even know what name to give it. That's what, what Perestroika felt like for people. It was the, the destruction yeah. of a country, and people were very yeah. afraid and didn't know what the future was going to hold. We in America thought it was the best thing. You know, People were celebrating in 89 when the Berlin Wall came down, but the people who were actually affected by perestroika, it kind of threw everything into chaos. Right. I, I think perestroika is this, has a, a positive connotation in the West because we always heard about it as, oh, I mean, the, the version we were sold in the yeah. West from, from that entire century when the Soviet Union existed was those people over there, they are enslaved by their government. They just want to be free. They want to be like us. They hate having a communist government. So when this starts happening in the West, everyone's celebrating and saying, oh, they can have blue jeans and rock music now and, and bikini, <laughs> bikinis and yeah. whatever. Yeah, that's true. But it was, I mean, for people who experienced it if on the inside, it was a very different thing. It was the country falling apart. Yeah. I found a, an article that talked a little bit about this. Putin had a speech in 2005 where he talked about it being chaotic and and that perestroika was one of the worst geopolitical things to have happened in our history, in the history of the world, not just in the Soviet Union or Russia. And it is said that that remark was alarming to Westerners. It illustrated a deep contrast in perspectives of an event that many consider a glorious moment in time. And this comes from uh, Dina Spelcher, an Indiana University professor who teaches about Soviet and Russian foreign policy. Wow. That makes a, a good point, you know, on the two different sides of history there, um, there are two totally different perspectives. Yeah, and, that, and that's how history works, too. One, look at it from a different angle and something that uh, one group celebrates, other people are not so happy about. Yeah. So this word, perestroika, we're going to use this word for our Russian language lesson of the day. pick this word apart um, because it is the literal meaning of perestroika, the one that we hear about in the West, is the transformation or reconstruction. Mm. And that's, uh, so it's made up of two different roots. 
Pierie is the prefix to the word, and then stroika is the building. So Pierie stroika is the rebuilding. Uh, but Pierie can have a lot of connotations to it. We talked in our last episode, we talked about uh, these different prefixes that go with Russian words. So yeah. the prefix Pierie, it can mean to do something over again. It can also mean to go across, like, I don't know if you remember seeing signs that said Pierichod on the street, oh, especially yeah. you'd see them in Moscow a lot. Like a crosswalk. Yeah, so that was like a crosswalk. Yeah, Chod or of from Chadzitz, from to walk. And yeah, Pierichod Pire is the place you walk across. Yeah. There are also some some other meanings that are more like too much or to do something extremely. Um, like Staratsa mm. is to try hard to do something. But if you say Pieristaratsa, Pieristaratsa means to overdo something. You're trying too hard. Okay. You're overdoing it. So one of the, one of the meanings that goes with Piere involves destruction. When uh, you, it's usually when something's being cut up or torn up with tools. Uh, so Rizatz means to cut up, but, but Piere Rizatz means to cut something up a lot of times, like to cut it into little pieces. Okay. And that, and that's related to, to some violent acts of like slaughtering and killing. Yeah. And kusitz, kusitz is to bite. Piere uh, kusitz is when you bite something in two. You split it in half and bite it in two. Hmm. So it's, uh, yeah, obviously Gorbachev was using it in the positive sense of we're going to restructure our country. And Gorbachev, he had, he had no intention of, he never thought the Soviet Union was going to fall apart. Yeah. He, and a lot of people still, <laughs> they hate him for that to this day. Because he was just trying to implement reforms, which that was when he first used it in 1986, this word, at a speech he gave in the, the town of Taliazzi, which is actually named after an Italian car factory that was there. Hmm. And I have a, my friend, my friend Kirill is from that town. So that town is where he first said the word Perestroika. But he was talking about implementing reforms, trying to make the government more efficient, trying to make it less centralized also give a little more autonomy at a local level and implementing some market reforms that uh, eventually allowed for some types of private businesses. Yeah. And at the time, so he was just trying to reform the Soviet Union. And I mean, this is a very complex period that we don't have time to get into. But what happened basically was it, it got out of his hands. Mm. Things, it spiraled out of control. And all of a sudden, Moscow did not have control of the, the situation anymore. Well, what it sounds like to me is you're saying this word perestroika kind of reminds me of a, a word that I hear a lot nowadays called deconstruction. Huh. I hear people talk about uh, themselves deconstructing their faith, um, deconstructing our, our social constructs. Yeah, ideas of race or gender and that kind of thing. Too. E exactly. And, and one of the things that seems to, be, to happen when, when somebody deconstructs whether they're doing it personally or they're deconstructing some kind of um, social system or uh, way that they behave in the world, is it can be tumultuous. It can cause sure. pain. It can it can cause strife. It can cause confusion. Is that that sounds exactly like what happened to Russia and the and the former Soviet Union? They deconstructed, and we were there at the tail end of the time when things were kind of being reconstructed. And just linguistically speaking, I mean, the word deconstruct is not very far off from destruct. Yes, that's true. Like it, there's a, this very semantic <laughs> difference between, you know, unbuilding something. I think when people say deconstruct in a positive way, they're saying that's something that should not have been built in the first place. Yeah, and they systematically so take, it it take it apart as, as opposed to just 
crushing into it and making everything crumble. So that's how people felt it as this this crumbling of a nation, though. Uh, you, Oksana and, and Olga in, in Engels, the girls from the, yeah. the church, you remember their dad was KGB. He had been a, a KGB agent for a while. Oh, yeah. I don't know if you ever met him, but, man, that guy, would, he would just stare daggers at me. He was just <laughs> sizing me up like, like this, dude, this guy is some kind of spy. I'm going to find him out. <laughs> but he had been a hardcore, hardcore Soviet patriot. Can you imagine if, if you ever ended up dating Oksana? I know that was your wish back then. It never really fully came to fruition. <laughs> oh, but can you imagine? Yeah, but for the grace of God. Yeah, the, the, that father-in-law situation for you. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Sometimes I thank God for unanswered prayers. Yeah. <laughs> thank God I didn't thank God I didn't date her. Yeah. But uh they Oksana, she would tell me that her dad during the the 80s uh when her mom would would be worried about some of the news about, you know, chaos and the the economies in shambles and and her dad would always calm her down and say it's okay, Sovietsky Soyuz at the Vietchny. It's wow. always going to be around. The Soviet Union will never not be around. Well, that one aged like milk, didn't it? <laughs> yeah, he uh he bet on the wrong horse there. Yeah. But yeah, he was uh, obviously, you know, very distraught. Now, then there are other people who were part of the Soviet Union that were very happy about this. Yeah. And especially in a lot of the republics that that broke free. And one of those is a place you and I have been a few times, which yeah. is Estonia. Yeah. And Estonia broke away in a nonviolent, very peaceful way, um, at least compared to some of the other countries. Uh, we we visited Estonia when we were there, and we could see the progress that it had made. Uh, just a few years ago, I visited Estonia with Lindsay, and it was as European as you could get. Um, it seemed like things were going really well in Estonia just a few years ago. But that hasn't been the case for all of the countries that broke away from the Soviet Union. Right. Putin said that uh, the the breakup of the Soviet Union was one of the worst things that happened to the Soviet Union. And this was this was in a speech uh, just a few years ago when Russia sent in troops to annex Crimea. Perhaps some of the reasons why they've done that is is because Ukraine left the Soviet Union in '91, and he, being a, a military man, another KGB man like Oksana's dad, um, kind of maybe saw that as a personal defeat in. Uh, a lot of people speculate that maybe that was a part of why um, there's this conflict currently now in Ukraine. The the actual quote, uh, the I've got the English translation here from the quote from the Kremlin. And uh, well, the quote here, this is from a 2005 speech yeah. talking about that. And he says, above all, we should acknowledge that the collapse of the Soviet Union was a major geopolitical disaster of the century. Yeah. As for the Russian nation, it became a genuine drama. Tens of millions of our co-citizens and co-patriots found themselves outside Russian territory. He also said later on that, um, and, th and I think this speaks to maybe what some people actually did feel after the collapse of the Soviet Union. He says, I've heard residents of Crimea say that back in 1991, they were handed over like a sack of potatoes. That's really good imagery. That's that's how geo geopolitics is so much like that with, with yeah. the small regions and countries. They just get passed back and forth like chess pieces. Yeah, we've talked a little bit about that in, in previous episodes when talking about Estonia, when talking about some of the conflict, even not even in Soviet countries, but in Ethiopia, the people that you talked to and the history that Russia had there and the, the conflict that happened between Ethiopians and Eritreans and how that was a little bit right. of a proxy 
between Russia and the United States. But there was a lot of countries that changed overnight. In the same speech, Putin invokes other former Soviet republics that have had tumultuous years in the 90s and then in the early 2000s, such as Kosovo and Serbia. He talked about Yugoslavia and, and Chechnya. And Chechnya, that's really key. Chechnya was where Russia put its foot down and said, okay, nobody else is breaking free here. Nobody else is, is separating anymore. Yeah. It was, because yeah. I think there was, that's it. <laughs> there was this freak out. Like, how, how long is this going to go on? Like, more and again, I mean, imagine, imagine the United States. More and more states are keep, are breaking free from Washington. Yeah. All of a sudden, we're down to 42 states. Now it's 35. And it's once it's like 20, it's like, okay, we got to stop this. <laughs> we're not going to have any country left. That's how the Civil War happens. Uh, you know, were they were they going to break away and become their own confederacy, or was Abraham Lincoln going to step in and say, "Enough is yeah. enough. We're going to war. You guys aren't leaving." That's it's very very similar there. Remember those? Uh, we we knew some Chechnyans. Remember those girls from Meat Factory that we met? Yeah, it was a really sad story because because uh, we we would make jokes about them because they were really odd. They were just they were just yeah. like very strange people. And, you know, they would always walk up to us in church and have this kind of goofy smile and, and say, Privet, ya Natasha. And so we would imitate them and we'd laugh about how these strange girls. And later on, it was Oksana yeah. was the one who told me. She said, David, I made some joke about them. And she said, David, you know, they're, they're shell-shocked. These girls, were they lived in Chechnya during those, those war years. Yeah. They're probably they're, suffering from PTSD. Yeah, yeah, they're damaged from those, the, the bombs dropping. Yeah, and it was uh, that was a really bloody time. Yeah, and and that issue with Chechnya went into the '90s, and um, it wasn't too long before we were there that even the um, the terrorist attack at the uh, at the ballet house. Uh, what is that? What is the, that? Called? Wasn't it the Bol- the Bolshoi Theater? The I Bolshoi think? Bolshoi Theater. Yeah, in Moscow. That, that wasn't that wasn't too far away from when we were there. So there was still conflict and things going on with Chechnya, and and those girls. Yeah, they lived through that. Can you imagine? So, and that was all part of that, that perestroika process. And Chechnya, it was one of the later territories to be incorporated into Russia, Hmm. really only by like the late 1700s, I think. So there was still this sense of of regional identity, like different languages, different, it was mostly Muslim people, just a very different, yeah. yeah, very different culture. And so when everyone else is breaking free and they get to be independent, Chechnya said, hey, me too. And uh, and Moscow said, hey, if we let Chechnya go, then all of a sudden Dagestan is going to go, other regions in the southwest. And yeah. also not to mention Chechnya has a lot of resources, oil and natural resources. <laughs> so I, that was a big factor. So 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 there was this this uh, chaos in former Soviet countries or, or places like Chechnya that were that they were fighting over staying within. But there was there was chaos within Russia as well. And especially when it came to resources, you mentioned that. When when the Soviet Union collapsed, uh, some of the infrastructure for how people got those resources how was was open in the air. You know how do businesses run without state governance along with that? Um, how do private corporations happen? And one of the things that we heard about quite a bit, and we joke about, was like the Russian Russian mafia. Whenever we would see uh, nice cars, uh, Western cars, especially. Um, thinking about like Mercedes-Benz car type cars, we would always joke, and and our friends I think would say this too. They'd say like, "Oh, that's that's the Russian mafia." 
Yeah. But but it was but that did happen. And and when capitalism floods into a market, sometimes there's backdoor channels and and people grab as much power as they can. Yeah. And what the people who grabbed that power and took over those former state run businesses. Yeah. It was a bunch of gangsters. It was uh, organized crime. We, we I had some English students who who had dads in organized crime. And you could tell wow. from just the their look and the cars they'd show up in at the English camp. We did a we did a session in Moscow, a really cool, cool camp. And there was this kid, he was like five years old, and I don't know his real name. He went by the English name Aragorn from The Lord of the Rings. <laughs> so I know him as Aragorn. <laughs> <laughs> and he was a really funny kid. He'd always make up these wild stories, and he'd he'd just come up and tell me these long stories about about a bum who drank beer and he went into the outhouse and there were giant monster worms that bit him on the butt. And, and he, he, had these, <laughs> he had these crazy stories. And But this kid, he knew all this prison slang. And so that was our first tip that this, this kid's dad's probably mafia because he would oh, wow. use words. He'd use words like chafchik for food, which is a prison slang term. Okay. Or uh, bablo, which is a slang word for money. But it's like a very low down mafia word for money. And we were doing an mm. English an English lesson about the phrase I like. And just every kid had to say I like and then say something in English that you like. And so all the cute little girls are saying, I like dolls and I like to play. And then this kid just said, I like Bablo. <laughs> and then his dad came to bring him some chips and some gifts. And he shows up in this Mercedes and he's got bodyguards. And I was like, I am not going to piss off Aragorn. I'm going to be real nice to this kid. <laughs> yeah. You know, that didn't work. Uh in the Lord of the Rings either. You don't want to piss off Aragorn. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So in that time when the mafia is taking over all the business, um, yeah, just it was just this up for grabs and these dudes are coming in, swooping in and snatching it all up. So there was a, a slang term that people made up to describe that. And it's a really fun play on words. So privatizatia means privatization. It's a, a, cos- yeah. a cognate with English. Okay. So this term is a play on that, and it incorporates a different word, which is prichvatsitz, which means to seize or to grab up something. So people mm. start talking about it and saying, no, it's not privatizatia, it's prichvatsizatia. So combining privatization and the word for grabbing and snatching up okay. to describe this, this free-for-all free of, of gangsters coming in and, and taking over the economy. Yeah. Hmm. So there's a, there's a great quote here. I want to read from, from Casino Moscow. Again, this is Matthew uh, Brzezinski, and he's an American of Polish descent, and he and his wife lived during the 90s, and he talks about, in 1997, he and his wife went to this Radisson Resort in Sochi, which is, you know, nice resort town, and they're at this resort, and he's drinking Long Island iced teas by the pool. They've got this big, nice outdoor pool area, and he describes these guys that he sees. It's this great description of what these 1990s gangsters were like. And he says he looked over at one of them because he has a tattoo. And at that time, it was, you know, most people in Russia did not have tattoos. And uh, he he looks over and (laughs) one of these dudes just has a huge scene of like a battle in Afghanistan all over his chest. And it's just like this battle scene covering his chest and it's got attack helicopters and a soldier in a turban and a stinger missile and, and so the mm. author, Matthew, tells his wife, I'm going to ask him about his tattoo. <laughs> and he's already a little <laughs> buzzed. And his wife is like, dude, don't do it, man. <laughs> These guys are mafia. 
Quoting from the book, he says, Roberta, like most Russians, used the all-encompassing definition of the word. The Russian mafia had no connection with Italian or American criminal organizations with the same name. The Russian mafia was not based on blood families and did not have ranks or rituals like the Cosa Nostra. The term mafia in Russia was used to denote both the criminal underworld and industry-based profiteering cartels that used violent means to control manufacturing, raw material exports, and banking sectors of the legal economy. Huh. So and then, he, then the gangster comes over to him. The tattooed warrior limped over to a shaded table where several young men fidgeted with cellular phones. This is 1997, so you've got to be rich to have a cell phone. Despite the heat, they were dressed from head to toe in black, the informal uniform of those occupying the middle ranks of organized crime. They sported black suede shoes with dainty little gold buckles, into which were tucked cashmere black turtlenecks that would have been more appropriate for the lingering chill in Moscow. A good deal of jewelry <laughs> hung from their thick wrists and necks. They drank Johnny Walker, Black Label, but what betrayed them irrevocably as thugs, however, were the expressions they wore. They looked as aggressively secure and above the law as movie stars or gangster mm. rappers on MTV. Or politicians. <laughs> or, pol yeah, or politicians in most countries in the world, yeah. Wow. Okay. Fortunately, we didn't have, we didn't have to deal with the mafia or organized crime. Besides your uh, interactions with Aragorn and his dad, we weren't, we weren't so close to that. But we would hear stories from people, and people told us about what was going on in, in the Wild West, as it were, in the 90s. Yeah, I, I talked to a lot of people our age or just maybe 10 years older than us who remember those 90s really well. Yeah. And I, I talked to one dude from Angles, and he talked about around those early 90s when things were falling apart. I don't know if this was related to old rivalries or even to, to resources and food. But he said that entire apartment blocks would go and brawl with each other in the streets. And he described this scene of everyone from one apartment going to go brawl with the other apartment complex <laughs> across the park. And everyone wow. would just grab what they, what they had. They'd grab like their irons and their ladles from the kitchen and, and just go <laughs> just beat the crap out of each other in the middle of the street. That sounds like gangs of New York or something. <laughs> That's what I thought of. Yeah, or, yeah. or even these, you know, like a, yeah, movies about modern gangs too. Yeah. But uh, yeah, just entire neighborhoods kind of coalesced. Um, yeah, in the absence of, of this central authority, all of a sudden there's this new, like almost like a warlord kind of culture. It reminds wow. me of, of Gary Steingart's book too, of uh, Super Sad True Love Story. Yeah. Which that book is about the U.S. falling apart. So toward uh, the, you know, spoiler alert, but uh, toward the end, he's got that same thing happening. And Steingart, he knows what the 90s were like in Russia. He's got yeah. family who lived through it. Yeah. And so he's describing the same thing in the U.S. where there's like these warlords who run Newark and parts of New Jersey and they're fighting with each other. Hmm. But I mean, I think that, that would happen in any country where the country falls apart and the government's not there anymore. Yeah, makes sense. I didn't, I didn't have a lot of interactions with people who are much older than me. You know, we, I, I had the, my best conversations with kids in the youth group. So most of them were a little bit too young to really remember. But, uh, the one person that I spent a lot of time with who went through, uh, perestroika and kind of, uh, straddled the, the history in Russia was my Russian teacher, Mike. Yeah. Yeah. Mikhail Sergeyevich. Yeah. And I remember 
I remember talking with him and I don't know if it was something that Murph and I asked him about or if he was just uh, telling us what he felt at that moment. But I remember him talking about before Perestroika, it kind of being the good old days. One of the things he talked about was nowadays as a teacher, um, he could barely make it. But under the the communist government and the social system then, he could always count on getting a new suit every year and having food and having a job where I think, I think after things kind of collapsed, and I've heard this a little bit from Lindsay as well. I, I know there was teacher strikes in the 90s. She experienced that as a student going to school in the 90s. Um, right. But he, he, he talked about how, how much harder it was now under capitalism, under a full capitalistic system for him as a teacher to, to survive. I always thought that was interesting because we, we in America always would, sit, would think, oh, well, they're finally out from under communism so everybody can flourish and everybody is going to um, make a bunch of money and they're going to become just like us in America. It wasn't necessarily the case for everybody, at least. Yeah, very, very idealized version of, of capitalism and this idea, this idea that it works for everybody, which even in the, the most successful capitalist countries, like there yeah. are huge chunks of the population that it doesn't work that way for. Yeah. I heard that same kind of comment from from Pastor Pyotr, Pyotr uh, Nikolaevich from Saratov, from the Evangelical hmm. Church. Okay. Yeah, he was an, very interesting because he was, he was Ukrainian, and he was very proud to be Ukrainian. He was a, a Ukrainian patriot, but he was also, he'd talk really fondly about the Soviet days. And he would, he would tell me, you know, David, I'm not going to tell you it was perfect. Of course not. But I'll tell you one thing. We never lacked for anything in my house. We always wow. had this, uh, it was this phrase he used was gentlemansky nabar or nabor. I forget how it's pronounced. Uh, the idea is this gentleman spread of, you always had huh. the basic products in your refrigerator. This gentlemansky nabar, you've got the like butter and milk and sausage and, and all your basic uh, products, like he, you knew your fridge would be full with that. Yeah. And uh, even Pastor wow. uh, Misha in the Angles Church, he was a little more negative, like not a real fan of the Soviet times, but he described it kind of cynically. He said, you know, it's kind of the same thing right now, because in Soviet times, at, at the bad times, and there were shortages, you'd go into a, a supermarket and there'd be no products there or very yeah. few things for, for sale. Yeah. And now you go in and it's full of products, but nobody can afford to buy them. Oh, wow. But then you'd, if I would, I would speak to the older people, um, that first month when we were there with Murph and, and visiting people from his church from, with Vitali from Vitali's church. Yeah. We went to that, that house, that big house with a bunch of cats in it and some infirm old ladies in it. <laughs> and we were, uh, and we had tea with the babushki in that house. And I, I had I knew enough Russian to ask them, hey, what were things like before in the communist times? And all the yeah. babushki, they like they just stuck their big thumbs up and they said, What <laughs> suck? It, it was, was like that. that. <laughs> <laughs> it was thumbs up, that's how it was. Yeah, and so they and they gave a very idealized version of of you know, it was very lovely, things were peaceful, we always had parades and prazniki and parties and celebration. Mm. Those were some of the things that pe some people conveyed to us about the transition from perestroika to when we were there. But what, what do other people 
say about it? What are, what are other people what are other people talking about in in that transition? Uh, well, we looked up some articles online. Uh, there's a really great one. This is this is on Stanislav's blog, and the blog is just stanislavs.org. And the title is The Wild 90s in Russia as Reflected in People's Memory. And it's in English. And uh, it has a lot of quotes of testimonies of people remembering the 90s. Um, In there, there's also a meme, a Russian meme in that article. Um, It's really worth taking a look at. It's it's got a lot of photos of Hmm. poverty, photos from the 90s of people. And this was a scene you would see a lot in the 90s. Uh, yeah. You see people just on the on the street, out of work, and there's a photo of a lot of people lined up on the street selling stuff from their house, just trying to make a few rubles, selling whatever they have, and uh, just looking really dejected. And so there's a, a series of these pictures and orphans on the street and garbage, and and so the header of this meme it says it says Do you remember the '90s? And then it says in quotes All of the civilized West was our friends all of a sudden. And our best buddy was the United States. Huh. So that's that's the way a lot of people will talk about the nineties, couching it in those terms of equating that equating chaos and poverty with the West. Hmm. And this I this there was this idea, this is what the West wants. They want us to suffer. Wow. Yeah, there there's a quote from that uh article from uh Tatiana Potapova, and she says I too remember the gangs of bastards who held the markets in fear, sniggering masters of life. And I also remember homeless children, lousy, dirty, hungry, who raided the trading rows of the markets and would grab from the shelves anything edible. I pushed food into their hands. There were so many of them. The officials were not interested in their fate. Wow. That, that reminds me of our experience, in, both in the, in the markets, but then also some of the the kids we hung out with, we called them the gutter punks, uh, just kind of kids who seemed to be living on the streets. I think they had places to stay, but they were just getting by with whatever they could do. Yeah. And I felt like a lot of those kids had, had broken homes also like, uh, you know, like a lot of problem problems at home had, you know, alcoholism, um, conflict at home. And so they spent a lot of time out of their apartment. Yeah. But that's that, I think that kind of describes our, our buddy Hesh to the T. Yeah. There were some movies that, um, that we watched and, uh, you, you got into them a little bit more than me that kind of depicted some of the time in the nineties. I think there was a little bit of a, a cinema revival. Why don't you tell us about some of those, Dave? Well, the one that we watched together, that was Brat, which means brother. Yeah. And we, uh, we had a copy of that and I think, I think we watched watched early on. We watched the second one first. Abramov really wanted us to see it, but he showed us. <laughs> right. He, he insisted us on showing Bratwa. us the sequel before, <laughs> before yeah. showing us the original. Because it was set in America. But oh uh, right, yeah. There's a scene where they go to the states. Yeah. So yeah. He so he thought to... he thought we would like that one better for some reason, but they were both <laughs> they were both great movies. The first one I think was an award winning movie. It was really good story, really good cinema. Yeah, there's a there's a part in the second one where they go through customs in the states, and the it's these gangsters, and one of I think he has a fake passport, and he's hmm. wondering if he's going to make it through customs, and the customs agent stamps it and tells him to go on, and so as he's walking away, he just says "Voturodi," which means bunch of ugly bastards, like <laughs> bragging bragging that he's made it through customs. Yeah. But there's a there's a few of these movies. 
Brat, a Brigada was another one about some young guys. They accidentally kill someone and they have no choice but to just join this underworld of organized crime. Boomier, right. uh, Jmurki was a dark comedy. And all of the, the big movies from the 90s, they're all about criminals. They're all about mm. this criminal underworld because that is what defines the 90s. Yeah. All, they're all like really depressing, almost this amoral world of every, everything is beyond good and evil and you're just doing whatever you want, whatever you can to, to survive. Mm. And uh, that the movie Boomir, I, I never watched it. And I don't want to watch it because I hate this music that's from that movie because it was the <laughs> ringtone. It was, did you ever hear this ringtone? Everyone had it on their cell phone. It went boop, 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 boop. No, I don't. I mean, maybe stupidest. I did, but I'm I'm guessing that it wasn't like it was the actual music from the movie. It was probably like a stupid little MIDI jingle, right? No, it was <laughs> the movie had the, had a cell phone tone in it because cell phones were oh. new and they were exciting. Yeah. yeah. So the I mean, then then like orchestral stuff comes in afterwards. But the movie music begins with like a MIDI sounding cell phone doing <laughs> oh, it, man. exactly that. But wow. I just thought it was the crappiest song and everyone had it on their cell phones. <laughs> one time I had to take a night train and it was when I was, I had gone to Estonia right before I got sick and I had run out of money. So I had to take the cheapest train back and it was like from St. Pete's to Moscow. It was a long night train. And it was all like the upright seats because I couldn't afford the sleeping compartment. And I was just in there. There were all these Navy dudes in the same car. And mm. they one of them had a cell phone with that ringtone on it. And that particular day, whatever cell phone company had a promo where you could, I, I don't know who came up with this. If somebody called you, they could talk to you for five seconds for free before they charged you off of your minutes. Okay. And so... This guy's girlfriend was calling him like every 30 seconds and he would say like, like three words and hang up and then she'd call him back and three more. And so it was like, like every 30 seconds, this stupid ringtones going boop, 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 boop. And then he would answer and say, yeah, I'm sitting here on the click. And then again, boop, 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 train. And I'm going to arrive, click. And I, you just have to hear like snippets of the sentence, and it was all night long. He was doing that. Oh, good lord! And it, and that uh, that broke me. I think that was why I got jaundice, and I felt I was in the hospital because it just <laughs> it broke my spirit. Oh man! <laughs> so one of these very depressing movies. It's called Shooter, Varashilovsky's Trilok, and uh, this is about really rough stuff. It's about the the culture of impunity that existed. And so the topic is that this grandpa, his uh, his granddaughter is, is raped by three privileged men mm-hmm. and the police are corrupt and they won't punish the guilty guys. So the grandpa, he's a World War II veteran from the Vov, from the, the Great Patriotic War. And so he's the only noble character and he just becomes a vigilante and he takes justice into his own hands. Wow. So, I mean, that's that's fictional, but... There were real cases like that of really dark stuff happening in the 90s. Mm. One of the most disturbing is this mass murderer that uh, I found out about, which actually my buddy Kirill, who is, lives in San Diego, but he's from Tagliati, he uh, he told me about this guy, uh, Alexander Sp- uh, Spisivtsev. 
So this dude, Spitsivtsev, he was known as, they called him the Novokuznetsk monster and the Siberian Ripper. Hmm. And he lived in the, a Siberian town, small town of Novokuznetsk. In 1996, he was finally convicted. But this guy and his mother, they would target street children, urchins, kids who were orphans living on the street, and young women. And the mother would go out and act like she was this old, feeble woman and get them to help her with her groceries, like, yeah. like Ted Bundy used to do. Yeah. And she would lure, lure them into the apartment and they would torture, murder people. There was cannibalism oh. involved. I'm, oh. I'm not even going to go into the, the details are just, they turn your stomach, just really gruesome stuff. And there is, there's some evidence that this, that they might've actually had immunity because there, there's evidence of some kind of collusion with the local authorities at the time. It's all mm. very shady. And this idea that local authorities might've even been involved in some sort of prostitution ring just like the worst, the worst stuff that humans are capable of doing to each other. Yeah. And that was like, for some towns like that, that was the nineties. And yeah. there were these monsters, these actual human monsters could get away with this, this stuff. And nobody said anything about it. Полковник Васим приехал на фронт со своей молодой женой. Полковник Васин созвал свои полки, сказал им, пойдем домой. Мы ведем войну уже 70 лет, нас учили, что жизнь это бой. So we're talking about those crazy 90s in Russia, and my buddy Kirk, Kirk Faulkner, he was there at the tail end of it. I believe 1999, 2000, and 2001. Da. You were there? Yes, I was. Uh, da means yes. yes. Da means yes. Kirk, uh, Kirk was a missionary just like us. He's been yeah. on our on to Russia with love before. He uh, was a Mormon missionary, which is the real deal. So we want to talk to you uh, a little bit about about the, the 90s and those those crazy right. chaotic years yeah. after uh, right after Perestroika in the 90s, and, and you hit the tail end of it, and you were there in 1999. And even us, we were there, uh, we went to visit in 2002, and then we lived there 2003 and four. So technically, it's not the 90s anymore, mm -hmm. but we still caught the tail end of that chaos, of that... Yeah. That sense of the general sense of of lawlessness of the country still trying to pick up the pieces and figure out what kind of country it is. Yeah, and the worst, probably the worst thing I saw in the entire time I was in Russia was one time I was in a stairwell and I saw a ten year old kid shooting heroin. Ooh. Like I'll just put ten, that out 10 there. Ten years old. Yeah, like oh like God. a very very like ten years old, if wow. not nine or eight. Like he was extremely young. Yeah, and. I think Man. the worst thing going on in Russia when I was there was the heroin epidemic. Yeah. Because I'm sure you know this, but after, you know, the fall, after perestroika, like communism actually did a really good job of keeping drugs out of Russia. Right. There really wasn't access to a huge amount of like hard drugs like that. And yeah, there's there's a book that, that Grant and I quote all the time called Russian Journal by Andrea Lee. Uh -huh. And uh, there's a part that was she was an American in the late 70s. She visited the Soviet Union and she says how people didn't even know how to take marijuana. Yeah. Like somebody they knew she was from the States and they asked her, have you ever shot up marijuana before? Yeah. Have you ever injected marijuana? <laughs> <laughs> Snorting marijuana. <laughs> 
that's where butt bongs come in. <laughs> <laughs> I it's marijuana's funny too. I, I would go to people's house and they would a- offer me marijuana, yeah. and they would. I didn't smoke it though. I or at least I didn't inhale. <laughs> they would bring out that's a timely that's a timely reference is, yeah <laughs> right very, very talking about, we're talking about the wild 90s he's yeah, wilder than uh slick than, willie than clinton they would bring out these trash bags of marijuana <laughs> like it was you could just tell it was like the kind of situation where they didn't they didn't have marijuana dealers yet like you could just right. like go somewhere and they're like yep yeah, scoop as much as you can into anything you can and give us like i don't know whatever you got in your pocket. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It would, uh, well, I don't know where the places you were at. It grew wild in, in the Southwest in, uh, near sure Serato. Yeah. I it mean, would, I came across it at a church camp. One, out in the one Drevni. Yeah. Yeah. Out in the, out in the woods, I was walking through and I just saw big plants of it just growing in the middle of the woods. Yeah. Pogreeb's full of <laughs> pot all over the place. Yeah. I, I picked a, a leaf of it and just let it dry out in my pocket. And then at my apartment, I'm, should I be confessing to this on the radio? <laughs> well, I did nothing with it. Is, yeah. Point point is, yeah, drugs were unknown in the Soviet Union. Yeah. And you were saying the heroin epidemic. Yeah. Uh, after and the fall. There just was no, there was no structure to like take care of the immense amount of young men who became heroin addicts, had no access to money, had yeah. no jobs. Now, do you know why, like, why heroin? Is it from Afghanistan? Yeah. That. Like, literally, like, those countries along there are all uh, poppy-producing places, and they had never been able to send, you know, their product product north, and then all of a sudden they could, and they're like, woo! Yeah, Yeah, it was just, like, all, you know, I'm sure it was was high times at Poppyland. They they were as happy as McDonald's. Yeah. We finally get to open up some franchises. That McDonald's in Moscow. That was was one of the best days of my life. It was really good. A year in Russia. No McDonald's. Went there. A year in. Oh, my God. Yeah, we we survived three months before we had McDonald's, and it was just the best thing ever. Kind of makes me want to go eat McDonald's right now. Yeah. So the you know, so the, I'm loving it. Yeah. Oh, me too. Remember, you know. Remember, you know what I love is their Big Macs, man. With the remember with, Grimace. Yeah. Is he well, not around anymore? I haven't seen Grimace referenced in a long time. I don't know what he was. He he was, he was like a like a hamburger demon of some kind. Yeah. He was like a anthropomorphic gumdrop. <laughs> yeah, I can't. He's not even close to an earthly species. No, the, uh, the rest might... of them are pretty. Yeah, they're just sort like of like the a... fry guys are made out of French fries. The yeah. hamburglar is a burglar who steals hamburgers. And That's he's... very logical. <laughs> Ronald McDonald's a clown. Um, yeah, Grimace is just like this sort of. There was a hamburger guy who's oh, Mary head... McCheese, Mary McCheese, right? The and then Grimace, man, like yeah, he's not even like a nugget or anything. He's no. Like uh, just a feverish dream of its creator. What are those little guys with the th- with the shapes on their heads? The oh, the Teletubbies. Yeah, he's like a he's like a like a deformed Teletubby. Yeah, I'm gonna be thinking about this all day yeah. long. We're way he's off the, topic. He's the slender man of Teletubbies. <laughs> so anyway, I, the the problem with having all these, um, you know, they call them narcomani, the yeah. young drug addicts. Oh right, right. Is the, they the were first off. Uh, zonked out of their heads to the point where 
you couldn't talk with them logically at right. all. They were incredibly high all the time. Oh, yeah. Because even when they weren't doing heroin, they were doing... I wish I knew that they were doing crocodile because everybody always asks about is that one. <laughs> no, that vice. didn't exist yet. I think. I, I don't know. I've never, I've never seen crocodile anywhere. But yeah. um, but you know they would. I mean they would ingest anything. They there was a lot yeah. of huffing. Did you ever see kids walk around with those little um, like little cups hanging around their their necks? Oh, I didn't notice. And they that. would put like like chemicals in it, and so they like would just kind or... of be like huffing it all day. Interesting. Which is you know great. <laughs> for your developing mind but like yeah, just but, like a low dose coming through constantly mm-hmm. like wafting up to your yeah no i i didn't notice that in, in like the cheech and there, chong of acetone yeah. <laughs> there's actually there was a heavy metal band my buddy abramov uh burned me a, a cd of they're just terrible too which one but their the name is acetonizer like acetonizer oh acetonizer and yeah. it's just like all these like thrash metal not great music, and then but between the tracks, they've got these real life recordings from the podiest of their apartment building, yeah. of the the entryway, and of like all these drunk, angry old people in their apartment building cursing each other out. Yeah. So it'll be like a, a thrashy song, and then between that and the next song, you'll hear some old lady, some babushka, saying, "Do you nachui?" I thought you said we couldn't swear on this. Oh, we can swear in Russian. Oh, okay. Um, Apologies to uh, our yeah. Russian-speaking listeners. We we used a mat there. Sorry. Yeah. N S F W. Not safe for a robota. Um, <laughs> so you you saw a lot of these narcomanes. Lots movies. of them. Also, I would say seventy-five percent of all the violence I experienced was with them, really? including the worst experience of violence that I had there. Okay. When where was I? I was in. I think it was in Novosibirsk, um, and. Um, we were walking, and these two, like, classic narcomani, totally zonked. You could, like, barely see their, like, pupils. They're, like, yeah. wandering towards us. And one of them, as they walk by me, just reaches out and cracks me in the jaw. Just out of nowhere. Just out of nowhere. Like, we're trying to, like, you know, scooch by them without any... Now, where is it? Day, nighttime? Where... It's dusk. Okay. And you're on the street somewhere? Uh, yeah, we were walking... Yeah, sure. I mean... It was kind of a street. Yeah, we were walking off a street to like through some uh, buildings to find. And I was going to ask if they could tell you were American, but then I remembered, oh, no, you were in the shirt and tie. The shirt and tie and and the little badge. Yeah, you're sticking out. That badge might as well be a target. (laughs) Yeah, that is the one saving grace that we thanked the Baptists for. They didn't make us wear any clothes or anything. I mean, we had to wear... No clothes, huh? (laughs) Yeah, we could. We we went witnessing butt-ass naked. Yeah. Press the Russian people. No, we could we could wear just normal Russian Russian clothes. So we we blend it in as long as we yeah. didn't open our stupid. That's mouths. great. When the the like five years before I was at my mission, the president of the mission um, told the missionaries they didn't have to wear the badge. Oh. And then I started the time the same time as a new president. And the first thing he did was make everybody start wearing the badge again. Son of a bitch. And like assaults went way. Yeah. <laughs> My mission president, if anybody hears this who knows my mission president, and I, I'm sorry for bad-mouthing him, was a friggin' idiot. <laughs> I, did, yeah, I'll, I did I'll, not like him or support his... I did not vote I'll four more years you. on him. <laughs> I'll support you on that just for the badge thing. Like, 
Come on, man. These guys are getting beat up on the streets. So anyway, this guy punches me in the face. And another thing that this new mission president had done is he had enacted this policy, and it was called the turn and run policy, which was if somebody hit you or started violence, you were not allowed to answer it with any violence. You had to turn around and run away. Did did they have to articulate that in a policy? Like. Were, was yes. there a problem with missionaries getting in fights and yes. throwing down? Yeah, well, I mean, because what would happen is like missionaries turn would, the other cheek. That's not, yeah, yeah, no, that's the, optional. The, the the mission president before him had also like kind of encouraged like you know like some beat downs in a few areas where <laughs> kind of taking some uh, some uh, uh, property from it was like a gang war. Almost. That is really cool to to imagine a, just a gang of Mormon missionaries like snapping yeah. like the jets and the sharks. Uh, yeah, there's a video online of them doing that with Jehovah's <laughs> Witnesses. Oh, but, is there really? Yeah, it's, I mean, not it's <laughs> not a real life thing. Um, so up to this point, I was about a year. I was I was deep in now. I was like maybe two months from going home. Okay. Uh, so I was I was there. when you got punched in the face. But yeah, by then I had been on. there. Well, this t- I mean I'd been punched in the face before, but. But this time I was like, I was, I was, I knew I was like two months away from going home and I was like, all right, forget this. I'm going to go beat the shit out of this guy. Excuse me. I'm going to go beat the crap out of this guy. Yeah. And you can, you can say shit on our, we're like everything but the F word, right. I think. Well, I, I gave, so I'll give you a retake if you need it. But <laughs> <laughs> Okay. So I'm like, I'm going to go beat the crap out of this guy. I don't care about the rule. And I turned to go fight him and my companion who again was like very new in the country just goes running by me like running away <laughs> and i'm blur and i'm like i'm like get back here we're beating these guys up and he goes he goes that one just stabbed me and what? i turned over and the guy had this four inch piece of just like jagged metal oh shit <laughs> so he had stabbed my companion like in the side back you know Holy, like right like where you would kidney. kidney punch somebody yeah and uh Holy crap, dude. So we run away, like, for the millionth time. Was, was your companion badly hurt or what? So, yeah, like, so we go back to the, um, go back to the apartment, and and I look at the, the wound, and it's about an inch and a half, maybe two inches what? long, and doesn't look very wide. It's, yeah. it's almost like a, it looks almost like a, like a, like a, uh, like a quarter slot, like huh. on a, on a game machine. Did you? Try to stick. I a did. I sticked. It. I stuck many quarters in, and I didn't get a game. Um, so at first, I was like, "I think he just scratched you." Yeah. And then we're sitting there for about twenty minutes trying to decide what to do because our options are ignored and hope it's not a big deal, or go to a Russian hospital. Yeah. And neither one seemed great yeah <laughs> so well but like infections and stuff though this is, you don't know what yeah the guy so we're with. we're sitting there trying to think and then all of a sudden he starts like wavering in, in consciousness Ooh. so then i'm like okay so we call a, an ambulance and it's just a van and the guys pick us up and yeah. oh i took one of those van ambulances yeah. when i went when i was in the hospital there was like one row of seats in the back just like a normal van and then the guys yeah. were both smoking <laughs> that was awesome <laughs> and listening to britney spears in the ambulance <laughs> uh and then we got to the hospital and they took him in and they kind of had the same reaction I did where they were like, Oh, it's just a scratch. It's not that big a deal, but we're going to keep him here for a while. He has to stay here overnight. Routine stabbing. Yeah. Routine stabbing. (laughs) And he's like, he has to stay here overnight, go home and get his stuff and come back. And I'm like, okay. So I go home and I, it's only like 20, 
minutes away. So I go home, I come yeah. back. Not even that. It's like 20-minute round trip. By the time I'm back, he is gone. He is in surgery, already opened oh, up. Dude. <laughs> they have taken him, put him under. Holy crap. <laughs> I'm like, wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> because now this is a big deal. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so the, the, the head guy in the hospital, like, takes me into a room and he's like your friend's wounds are very serious and i'm like so what did they what did the stab hit did it hit uh, a they, i guess it just went very deep into him it didn't i i, I don't think it like it definitely didn't puncture anything i think it might have nicked something but it wasn't a big deal or yeah. something and then they like <laughs> they sewed him up with what i swear what looked like fishing lure it was like <laughs> the thickest it's like did you use yarn this is <laughs> it looks like raggedy andy now <laughs> And, and uh, twine from yeah. a hipstery <laughs> gift wrapping. They, they put gunpowder in the wound and then lit it on fire. <laughs> um, I always remember the funny thing, too, was that when I saw him, he was like this super timid guy from somewhere in like small town, rural town, Utah. Mid, okay. Like he barely talked. He talked like oh, this the whole yeah. time. And uh, the, so I go in. He he pulled through, yeah. He like and he came out and he's in his room and I, I go, hey, how you doing? He's like, they made me get naked in front of a bunch of women. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's the worst of his concerns, I'm like, dude. <laughs> Enjoy it. Like you got you got stabbed, yeah. man, and you're alive. Yeah, look at it as like a little furlough on this uh, two years of celibacy that we're going through. <laughs> yeah, but uh, he's totally scored. He, he actually did really well. Um, after that, he like I thought it was gonna like destroy him because yeah. he seemed like this timid yeah, guy. Him but it actually kind of brought him out of his shell, and I heard that he went on to be like one of the big leaders in the the mission. Really? Yeah, which is you know, yeah, he was just like I, I've already been stabbed. Yeah, what what else can happen to me? I mean, <sighs> well, so I I actually had one. I, I didn't have as many violent encounters like you did. Uh, but did you ever come across these groups of young guys who were not? Drug addicts, but just just shiftless young guys hanging around a car with the door open, drinking. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. they would they would ask you for a cigarette. Yeah, yeah. Or ask to use cigarette your cell phone. Yeah, or ask to use your cell phone. But it was always an excuse to try to fight with you. Yeah, they're just looking for somebody yeah, to fight, filling you out. Yeah, yeah. And so whatever you answered, it was the wrong thing. Right. Like, like you, I would always say, "Don't you him? Like and, and outraged You're me that any, flashbacks. Anybody would know. Yeah, and, and they would ask for your cell phone and I would say I didn't have one. And so I right after I was in the hospital getting my liver worked on, because I, I had jaundice and some kind of weird mononucleosis, and uh I was in quarantine and so they, they did all this stuff to me. I had just gotten out of the hospital, just like freshly worked on by the doctors. And like that week, I come across one of these groups of guys hanging around a car asking for a cell phone. And I said, I didn't have one. I kept walking. And then the head, the biggest, beefiest dude like runs up ahead of me on the sidewalk and he's standing there in boxer position, like on like Mike Tyson's punch out. Yeah. And he's just ready to go. And I'm like, dude, there's five of you. I'm not stupid. I'm not yeah. going to fight five guys. And I just kept walking and he punched me right in the liver. Oh, wow. Oof. And I was... <laughs> Just one punch, and he was it was weak because he was pretty drunk. Yeah, but I was like, "You asshole! I just got that liver fixed was, this yeah. week." She had to pick. You one couldn't spot. pick any. You couldn't punch anywhere else. I mean, it makes sense. Like they, it's so boring. Their lives yeah. are like those, those guys in front of the podias, like in the in the 
Riviata Crouch, we called it, you know. Yeah. Just smoking. Like, what do they do all day? They got nothing yeah. going on. Yeah, it was that whole generation of, yeah. of guys in that chaotic time. Like, if you're not part of of the organized crime snatching everything up, yeah. what, what's your future? Who are you as a... I had one. I had this one guy who lived out there in Siberia. He's my pretty good friend. And he summed it up by saying, he's like... I was like, what do you think between when it was communist and capitalist? He's like, like when it was communist, there was nothing to buy, but we had tons of money. Now we have tons of, but now we have no money, but there's tons of stuff to buy. I was like, all right, that makes, yeah. Right. Yeah. We knew, we knew a pastor that uh, we mentioned who he told that exact same story. Yeah. Anywho. Yeah. But uh, thanks for, thanks for sharing your stories. It was yeah, like, it's pleasure. always, I always enjoy talking with you and you always have these amazing stories from from uh, life in general, but from from those times yeah. in Russia. I should go back and read my journals. I'm sure there's some more in there, but those are the yeah. yeah these are like kind of some of the stickouts. You know, still remember a decade later. Yeah, I'll I'll go through my journals every now and then. Every yeah. couple of years, I'll pull them out, and even the suckiest times, you look back on them, and it's like, yeah, I kind of like how much that sucked. Thanks, Kirk. Thanks for thanks for sharing these stories. Like, all right, really great stuff. Awesome. А земля лежит в ржавчине, церкви смешались со золой. И если мы хотим, чтобы было куда вернуться, время вернуться, вернуться домой. Этот поезд в огне нам не на что больше So uh, a little bit ago, you, you talked about uh, traveling back from Estonia and getting sick and and how that that ringtone kept you up all night and may have caused you to uh, get jaundice and, and you had to go to the hospital. <laughs> I remember you telling me stories about that um, after the fact. That was when I was gone. Um, and it sounded miserable. But, but we always look back at, on that and look, even look back on all our stories and laugh. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, then... even, even the rough times, and I think for me the darkest time was when I was in the hospital, uh, really kind of fearing for my life a couple of times there. Cause I was, I was pretty sick. My, I had a fever that was close to brain damage levels. Some people say that it went past those levels. Uh, people who know me really well <laughs> right now. Yeah, of course. <laughs> and uh, it was like just rough times. I was in that hospital for weeks and quarantine and just eating watery soup and bread. And, and, but you know, you look back on that later on and I'm, and, you know, you think, there were some good times in that hospital too. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'll, I'll think of the simple stuff like, like dear friends who would bring me, they would sneak me chicken hidden under mashed potatoes and sneak stuff oh, to me. Yeah. And, and uh, people from, you know, the, the, there were some Mexican Catholic nuns who worked at the church in Saratov and, and they would bring me stuff. And then the Baptists were taking care of me. So yeah. at the time you, f- you feel like you're just in hell on earth. And then you look back on these moments and, and you get nostalgic about them. Hmm. And, and that's kind of what a lot of people are doing right now with the 90s in Russia. Hmm. There, there's this weird pop culture movement of 90s nostalgia in some groups. And not even people thinking that the 90s were all good, but, but it's the time that people live through. And so there, the Moscow Times reports on this. There was uh, Recently, there was this, this flash mob called the Island of the 90s. And uh, it was supported by the, the Boris Yeltsin Center, which is a... Uh, like an institute to, dedicated to the memory of Yeltsin. Oh, that's and funny. they had this. <laughs> he's kind yeah, of because he was oftentimes demonized for the for everything going to crap. Yeah. 
Yeah, and this this center exists, and there are some people who who idealize the '90s in Russia too. Hmm. And so it's I think it's just a lot of people who are more pro Western, kind of the Yablika crowd. You know, Yablika is the big the big party, the big anti-Putin uh, party, and they're very pro-Western and pro-business. Okay. So for a lot of those people, they they idealize that decade as this time of freedom, as this time yeah. like, like they they would say, like almost getting close to like a, a libertarian perspective, you know, saying like even if it was chaotic and crazy, it was worth it because there was this economic freedom and uh, that's supreme for some people. Yeah, yeah. And so this... But this flash mob, it, it wasn't even made up of people who think that way necessarily. It was just kind of this nostalgia, the same way that any country gets nostalgic about a, a previous time. Yeah, that's funny because, you know, even you and I, our, our times together when we're talking about Russia, when we're, when we're doing this podcast, the reason why we did this podcast is because we feel nostalgic about our time back then. And a lot of our stories are about how crappy and how sucky it was. You know, you just talking about being in the hospital. That's not a great situation, but we look back fondly on it. And it's interesting that people do that. Yeah. And there's uh people can be very frank about that too. There's uh this journalist, uh, Uliana Skoybida. She's, and she's pro Kremlin. She's a columnist for the Komsomolskaya Pravda. It's a newspaper. And, uh, she has this quote in her column talking about that, that nineties nostalgia flash mob which she describes, you know, she describes the 90s as a time of devastation, decay, illegality, and war and hunger. But uh, she's got a quote explaining where that nostalgia comes from. She says, as for the nostalgia that has been seen recently, it can be easily explained. We always consider that in our younger years, everything was better. The sun was brighter and the grass was greener. She told that to the Moscow Times. That reminds me of, of our talk, my talk with Mike about how he looked back uh, when he was able to get a new suit every year. You know, people always think the grass is greener on the other side or, or hindsight is twenty twenty. We look back at history uh, to the golden ages, to the, the, the way that it was and see that as, as being better than how things are now. And, and that's a little bit of, of our experience. And, and you and I, Dave, we share that nostalgia for our time lost, for for our time in the past uh, when when we lived together in Russia. A lot of our stories are about how crappy it was and, and how miserable we felt, but we look back on that fondly. So I can really relate to, um, to Russians looking back at the 90s as it being a, a great time. Yeah, I mean, when we were in the thick of it, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the time we were miserable. There were times that I just, I hated your freaking guts. I was just sick of everything, <laughs> but now we're friends and now we're talking about this because that's, that's what you do when you get, you get to our age and you, you, you think back and, uh, it, and it's pleasant with the good and the bad and everything because the bad, it, it's made you who you are as a person or as a country too. And you've, you've risen above the bad too. And I think that's what a lot of Russians would say now too, that thank God Russia's not as chaotic as it was in the nineties. I think people feel that the country is stronger for having survived it. Well, those are my feelings about you too, comrade, just so you know. Oh, samesies. <laughs> well, Dickie Zappin, the Wild West. The Wild, Wild West. <laughs> we shared some of our experience of the tail end of that time period. and um, But we'd really like to hear about your 
experience. Um, if you visited Russia in the 90s, tell us uh, what you experienced. If you lived there, if you grew up there, if you know what that was like personally, we want to know. You can do that a few ways. You can hit us up on our social media. We have an Instagram and Facebook. You can find us. Uh, Instagram is TRWL underscore podcast. And on Facebook, it's TRWL podcast. And uh, you can also email us, TRWL underscore podcast at gmail.com. And there's a new way you can connect with us, and that's through our Patreon. Uh, yeah. We want to give you the chance to, to be part of this podcast community, connect with us on a deeper level, uh, even be chatting with us about uh, the episodes and topics and and get some cool free stuff from us too we've got some some books some bonus content uh, for people who become partners on patreon so you can find that at www.patreon.com backslash trwl underscore podcast thanks for joining us we'll see you next month with a new episode wasiba Today's episode of To Russia With Love was sponsored by Dzikie Divinosti, the Wild 90s, and also the Russian Will Smith and his hit single Diki Zapad. Di Di Diki Zapad. Diki Diki Wiki Wiki Diki Zapad. Спасибо за внимание. Please, thank you.